Welcome to He Read, She Read, the podcast where a couple of married bookworms discuss what they're reading and learning. Today we're discussing book-to-TV adaptations. I'm Curtis. And I'm Chelsea. To start each episode, we like to answer a listener question. They don't necessarily have to be book-related, and we need some more for our backlog. You can submit them via direct message on Instagram or Twitter at He Read, She Read, or you can email us if you have a longer question or dilemma for us to help with. You can email us at hereadsheredpodcast at gmail.com. Today, we have another question from Ruthann, who asked us about our recent cross-country move. And she asked, when you moved, did you purge books at all? How did you decide? And do you ever weed out your collections? So this move was a little different because we knew we weren't going to unpack everything at this destination because it's a less than a year temporary thing. So... We were very methodical about packing books in separate boxes for unpacking versus storage. So that was something that we weeded out books that we were going to read over the next year, just so we had easy access to them. Um, Which was a little bit different for both of us because you own, well, you own more books than me in general, but you own a lot more unread books, I think. That's, I think that's valid, yeah. And so I basically just looked at my shelves and pulled off all of the unread books and decided that was what I was going to unpack. Whereas you had to look at all of your unread books and decide, what am I going to read? Yeah, there was some prioritization in there about what I thought I would actually pick up. And what what ended up happening is I had to grab some books that I had already read because I thought I was going to need them for this school that I'm in for the army. Um, But answering the weed out collection, I think I've mentioned this in a previous episode, but the only reason I'll get rid of a book is if I don't think I'm ever going to read it again. So that process usually starts a couple of months before we know we're going to move. And I start going through the shelves because it takes a while. And then I'll figure out if there's a book that I'm not going to read again. And then we'll put it in a pile that goes to half price books. So I had about a box, maybe 10 books or so that I got rid of before this move and it met those criteria. I weed out on a regular basis, at least once a month, if not every other week. Part of that is just that I'm not a rereader. You're not as attached to your collections as I am either, so that makes it easier to get rid of stuff. I am ruthless. I mean, I'll scan my shelves pretty much seriously like every other week and I could get rid of a book if I look at it and I'm like, "Mm, I don't want to read that bad enough. Like, if I feel like it's a book that I would want to read within the next month, even though I have more books than that, like, that's not possible, I'll get rid of it. (laughs) And I'll think, you know, if I really, really want to read that book, it'll come back to me and I'll get it from the library someday. Someday you'll see it again and then it'll just make a connection that now is the right time. Yeah. That's kind of weird, but... But that's why I'm especially super selective, like, if we go to an independent bookstore where we're not paying $2 for the discarded library copies where we're paying full price for the book. I want it to be a book that I will keep on my shelf or loan out. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I got a question for you. Yeah. To start it out. Do you remember the first time that you had a book that you knew was better than the adapted version? So like the classic phrase of the book was better. Do you remember the first time that that happened for you? You clearly have an answer or you wouldn't have asked, but I I really don't know. For me, it was Holes because I was in that generation where everybody loved Holes in like the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as I saw that they were having Shia LaBeouf in it, just immediately turned off. You didn't like him even then? No, didn't like him even then. Even it was, pr- and after Transformers, it was just worse. You really didn't like Holes? I loved the book. I just thought the TV, well, the movie adaptation I thought could have been better. I don't like it. What about it do you think could have been better? I don't know. I think it was in that, I was just in that snobby age where everything about the book and me having my own picture of how it should be just trumped whatever they were able to capture on film, which is a problem that plagues a lot of readers, I think. It's like you have your perception about how it should be digitized and how it should be acted and all that. And you can't really place what about it you don't like. You just know you don't like it. None come to mind immediately. I would have to think for a while. But I don't have the same kind of film memory that you do. 
Yeah, I have one of those like videographic yeah. type memories, so it's a it's a weird thing. But I will say, over the years, I, maybe if you would have asked me this question like seven years ago, I would have had a strong opinion about it. Mm-hmm. But over the years, as I've consumed more books and more media, I think that I've developed the skill of really separating them in my mind so that I don't feel the need for a movie or a television adaptation to be the same as the book. I know it's going to be different. I'm more invested in whether it is a good adaptation than whether it meets my expectations the same way that the book did. It's easier to separate them as just completely different experiences. And I'm fine with that. Okay. Today we're talking about specifically television adaptations of books. And we excluded made-for-TV movies. There are so many adaptations right now that are movies on Netflix or TV streaming services, Mm -hmm. but they're movies. So example is To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Which was That's a movie. Which was great. I do love it. I haven't read the book yet, though. But that's a movie. Just because it's alongside a bunch of TV doesn't mean it's the same thing. We're talking specifically episodic television. Multiple episodes. It could just be one season. Limited run. But multiple episodes. Adaptation. Mainly because if we started getting into the movie realm, we would be here for multiple hours. So we're trying to limit the scope. And then also it seems like everybody in... Hollywood doesn't have original ideas anymore, or even for television, it's either remakes from the 80s or book adaptations. So we've got a good pool to choose from. That's true. What's one of your favorite book-to-television adaptations? I mean, I feel like it's one that everybody talks about, but it's Game of Thrones. And we've got a unique relationship with it because you read the first two books and then half of the third, and I've been through all the books and multiple times. And then we both love the show, but for different reasons and from different perspectives as people who have either read all the books or just part of them. And it's taken its own life apart from the series. So it started off being loyal to the books, like pretty much each season followed the storyline from one of the books. But it's outpaced the writing, which is the unfortunate part is that George R. R. Martin can't finish a book to save his life. (laughs) And it took him you know, six years to write the fifth book and it's taken him another six to not finish the seventh one. So HBO wasn't going to sit and wait. They, they're sitting on this nest egg that is all this money. And so they're coming out with the ending, which apparently is loyal to what he's going to finish in the books, but might have its own twist. So I don't know how that's all going to play out, but on its own, I liked it as a loyal adaptation for the first few seasons. I thought it was representative of his work and the things that I liked about the series and then now in the last couple of seasons it's taken on its own life and kind of been just a really good television show so that I feel like that's one of everybody's favorites even for people who haven't read the books they like the show Um, so that's an easy one to talk about first so I think one of the markers of a good book to television adaptation is that you don't have to have read the book to like the show but if you did read the book and you also like the show, then that means, like, they nailed it to me. It also just means that every time that there's a super big twist in an episode 9, right before the season finale, you know what's coming and can ruin it for everybody, or just like everybody did when the Red Wedding happened, and they were just filming people who hadn't read the books for the responses, and just the wide eyes and the, what's going on? So I think that makes for a fun experience. Yeah, but now... The problem is, is that you don't know what's what's coming. So when you first found out that Game of Thrones was being made into a TV series, were you excited or apprehensive? So I had a weird introduction to the books because I had a mentor in college that recommended the books to me, and I picked them up probably six months before the show started. So I was finishing them as season one was coming out, and then waiting for season two, I had read all the books. But it wasn't like I was one of those that was reading it in the early and late 90s and waiting multiple years for it to develop. It was still fresh in my mind, so I knew the story, and it was easier for me to connect with the show because it was, like, fresh, if that makes sense. But I wasn't, like, 
it isn't like I am now where I'm patiently waiting for Lin-Manuel Miranda to hurry up and do the King Killer Chronicles <laughs> where I've read those books and it's going to be years and years before that show comes out. There's something about fantasy that I think lends itself really well to TV adaptations. It's a common trend that we'll see on our favorites. Like another one of ours that we really like is Outlander. Mm-hmm. And that's another one that we both like with different perspectives. You've read all, or you're reading I'm the series. I'm working on the books. You're reading the series <laughs> and then I'm just seeing it blind. Um, but I feel like from what I can tell and from what you've told me, that one's a little bit more loyal to each book is a series of the show or, an ep- or a season of the show more so than Game of Thrones is. I've heard that this season, season four, is going to be a little bit more of a combination of two books. So books four and five, that there might be a little bit of five in it, but I can't verify that because I haven't finished the fourth book yet and we haven't started watching season four. Game of Thrones and Outlander are both really long books. Well, the series is long. The individual books are thousands of paid, like really thick books. Lots of content. And I think that that is great for a television adaptation because, of course, you still have to cut some stuff, but there's more source material to work with. So the stuff that you have to cut might not be as significant as the things that you might cut for a movie. Yeah. I think it's easier to cut stuff from Game of Thrones because Martin has so many different POV characters that aren't the main characters. And for Outlander, it's always Claire narrating, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Sometimes Jamie or not really? There was one book where a chapter started with him narrating, and they actually reflected that in the show, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, the current book that I'm on, Claire narrates, but there are a couple of sections with Brie. Okay. But that's obviously got to be reflected in the show because they're in separate time periods yeah. anyway, yeah. so... I really I guess like that's kind of spoilery, but well, if, if it's in season four, if you're not watching it by now, you're not going to watch it. And if you are watching it, you've probably already seen <laughs> seen the episodes. <laughs> I don't. I feel like we shouldn't even put out like a spoiler warning no, for those shows bother. because those are so like ingrained in culture. Either yeah. you're watching it or you're not. Yeah, so. they've well, they've become such huge cultural phenomenons outside of. Actually, I think it's phenomena. What's the plural of phenomena? <laughs> phenomena. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. Phenomena. Do, 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 do. What were we talking about? Uh, how Outlander and Game of Thrones are part of pulp pop culture phenomena. Yes. I think I said it right that time. Anyway. I I do think Outlander does a good job of being pretty true to the books. There are people who might say otherwise. I'm just not a book purist anymore. I just don't care enough about it. Yeah. I think it's a very good representation while also being a good show, which is important. And also Sam Heughan makes that show. Hottie. Because he's a dream book. And I think that's the key with the show is the most important thing in those books Claire and Jamie and their relationship. Yeah. That translates so well on that show that I think that's all that matters is that they have good chemistry, that they're believable as the epic romance. And I think that's what Outlander really, really nailed. For Game of Thrones, would you say it's character, like actors and character as well? Or is it more of the plot? Um, I think the cool part about that is that it's just got so many different perspectives that are all vying for the same thing. Like at the end of everybody's like tunnel that they're looking at is the Iron Throne and power and Mm -hmm. what people will do in order to get power. And that's the interesting part for me is it's coming from a different character perspective and all these people that are either intentionally or because they're pursuing a greater good end up vying for the iron throne but it talks it's just really what people will do in order to get power yeah so i feel like that's it's not really the relationship between like a love interest and that even though there are those within the story it's more about the relationship that other people all these different entities have with power sure and and what they'll do and lines they're willing to cross and 
morals or lack thereof in order to get power. So part of the interesting thing about that show, and maybe part of what has made it such a huge deal in pop culture, is you can root for anyone. Yeah. And you can change your mind at any given episode, but... Because they'll either do something heinous or something that you like. Right. And if you're going to make a good TV show, you need that key narrative drive that's going to hook people. And I feel like, especially with Game of Thrones, that narrative drive to get the Iron Throne is just, it naturally creates good television. I think Peter Dink- I think Peter Dinklage is a good example of that, where Tyrion has just taken on this life outside of the books in pop culture just because they love his representation. And I don't feel as connected to him in the in the books itself, but in the show. Your team Tyrion? Yeah, I love that guy. I think it's funny because Outlander is one of my favorite book series of all time. Would you say the same for Game of Thrones? Yes. So I think it's kind of funny that we we have that shared TV experience. Mm-hmm. I have no plans on finishing the Game of Thrones And books. I'm never going to read an Outlander book in my life. But yet we can still have that shared experience through television. Yeah, that's a cool part about it is we both can find something that is important to the other person and share in it without fully investing in reading all the books. Because I don't have time to read all of those Outlander books. Because you're busy reading Game of Thrones. Well, I'm not <laughs> anymore. <vice> versa. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not anymore because he's not writing them. No, but you're still reading really long books. Yeah. <laughs> What else do you have on your list of favorites? Um, Sherlock. So mm-hmm. the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, Sherlock Holmes mystery series. But I'm mainly thinking of the Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman at BBC adaptation, which I think might be on its last legs just because the actors... They're so busy. Yeah, and they're doing other things. I but feel like there's one more season in them. You think so? I think the last season, they built it in with a send-off just in case they don't come back. I, I agree with that, but I think if they got the opportunity, everybody would be on board for another season. If the stars align, I think there could be one more or a movie. Just like they did that one Christmas special. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I could see them doing just individual Christmas specials like that. Yeah. BBC loves to sell some Christmas specials. <laughs> uh, I, I love it because Cumberbatch is the quintessential Sherlock Holmes for Mm -hmm. me, mainly for the mind palace and just the snappy dialogue and back and forth between him and Watson. Um, And I literally like Martin Freeman too, where he just has like the subtle ways to get at Holmes when he knows he's being like verbally outmatched, but he gets his like little subtle jabs in there. Did you read the Sherlock stories? Yeah, I've read them. Um, I haven't. The cool part about the show is that it puts the modern lens on all of them, which... Like, so a lot of the other Sherlock adaptations are period pieces. Like, you think of the Robert Downey Jr. movies, which I think are less than when you're talking about a mm-hmm. Sherlock adaptation. But I like how they use the modern perspective and then how everything's up on, like, a blog for how they're publishing the stories and stuff like that. So. I think it's clever because, as we've said before, it's entertaining for the people who haven't read the source material. Yeah. But for people who have read the source material, I think even for Sherlock purists, the character is the important factor. Benedict Cumberbatch does such a great job of capturing the character of Sherlock. And all of the modernizations are so clever that it's just entertaining to see how they're going to twist different aspects of the short stories. Yeah. I'm going to miss it if it never is on TV again, but it was a fun ride. I think they lend themselves really well to rewatching because all of the mysteries are so intricate mm-hmm. that I think you can watch that series over and over again and catch new things every time. I've been through it probably three times. Really? Yeah, I watched it again uh, when I was deployed. I think maybe there was one season that I watched over again with you, but otherwise... We, we've established that you're a rereader and, and a rewatcher, re-watcher <laughs> and that I'm not so much... <laughs> I have to just say, I think that BBC and the like PBS Masterpiece Classic kind of deal, they've been doing book adaptations, book to TV for a long time oh, and doing it really well. They're the OGs. So a lot of that is typically classic literature. Um, I personally love um, 
the BBC adaptation of Emma that stars Romola Garay. I think that's how you say her name. But it was made for TV, so it's episodic and it's broken down. And I, I think that there are some decent Jane Austen movie adaptations, but those some of those books are, again, fairly long. They're complex. They lend themselves really well to a short TV series. Yeah. And I do, as much as I like Outlander, Game of Thrones, those are multiple seasons, multiple episodes, I really like a good book-to-TV adaptation that is limited series. Six episodes, one season, they've covered the book. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit like it's just a long movie (laughs) broken up into parts. But it's also that they are not stretching it for a cash grab. Right. So one adaptation that I have on my list of favorites is Big Little Lies. Yep. I really enjoyed the book and I listened to the book on audio. And so when they said they were adapting it, the audio was so entertaining to me and well acted that I knew it would translate well to the screen. However, I have absolutely zero desire to watch season two. That's a pure cash grab in every sense of it. Because they they finished up the plot of the book in the first season, right? Yes. And the whole point of it is that should just be the end of it. That's what I think. Like, if they've done the source material and done it very well, I'll admit. Like, it was a good series. Mm -hmm. Just leave it at that. Like, have a satisfying conclusion. People don't know when to have satisfying conclusions anymore. No. But here's the thing. So we've talked about great adaptations entertain people who haven't read the book and people who have. I wonder if there's a discrepancy if people haven't read Big Little Lies, but they loved the show. Are they more so looking forward to the second season? Because it's just TV for them, right? Yeah, I would say so. Because Whereas, yeah, they don't have anything to compare it to. To me, the story is done. It's done. And I don't... It sounds bad, but I don't care about the characters anymore. I felt like it all wrapped up. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm over it. That's the same thing a lot of people were saying about Handmaid's Tale. I never even started it. I never... I don't know that I can watch it. I haven't read the book yet. It's on my list. It's on my shelf. I I don't know that I can handle viewing it. I might be too sensitive for it. Mm -hmm. But I have heard that the second season is just too much i yeah i just i have a hard time with that with extending the story i think some authors will stay on and consult and work with the writers which makes me feel a little bit better about it yeah but still i only need the one season if it finishes the storyline if it finishes the storyline yes yeah uh, i've just got one more um justified which was a fx show based on a elmore leonard short story um, no, that was based on a story. Yeah, um, it's Fire in the Hole is the short story. So it's you never watched the show with me, did you? No. So it's about a modern day U.S. marshal played by Timothy Oliphant, who wears a cowboy hat, follows like old west style of rules. So like within the first ten minutes of the show, he walks up to a guy that is a fugitive and says, "I thought I told you to get out of town," like a classic western mm-hmm. thing, and he says, "If you don't leave." In the next five minutes, I'm going to shoot you. And so... Damn. Yeah, so he it, he has a very Old West style of justice, which understandably would get him in trouble in yeah. modern society. Um, and the guy ends up pulling a gun on him, and then he uh, Raylan kills him, which then he's under review, and one of the best quotes of the whole line is just like, um, he's got lawyers talking and back and forth, and he's just like, look, we can bear, this can be real simple. He pulled first... And then I shot him. And then... Which is classic Old West rules. Oh, yeah. Classic. Like, he's the epitome of, like, a a Wyatt Earp character just in modern day. Mm -hmm. So he gets sent back to his hometown in Kentucky to hunt down some criminals and go back and forth. And then six seasons of a show later. Um, But I love it just for, like, the Old West style. I grew up watching Westerns with my grandfather. And it's, like, the best representation of like a modern day western that i've ever seen Mm -hmm. so did you read that short story no i haven't but it's based on i haven't read it i've read the follow-up so he wrote a book um called raylan which was just a continuation side story to the show um and i read that 
And I, I haven't read anything else by Elmore Leonard. Have you ever come across anything by him? No, but yeah. I'm thinking it sounds like an avenue that really sounds up. I don't know. That, that was about to be way too many cliches. <laughs> that's an avenue that's, that's really been up, up your alley. <laughs> There's too many. Ge- I just edited myself mid podcast. Too many geographic <laughs> analogies. <laughs> Oh, okay. I thought... Anyway, that sounds like something that you should read. Well, I thought since he's a well-known short story writer, you might have come across something in your graduate work, but... Nope. Well, that's that's all I have for favorite adaptations. Uh, Do you want to lead us into your least favorites? Yep. What do you got? Okay, my least favorites don't really count as least favorites. I just didn't know where else to categorize them. Okay, how... (laughs) Did you... Okay... If it's like my least favorites, I've seen every episode. I liked part of it, and I just ended up being unsatisfied. Is that uh, kind of where you're at? No. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm going to let <laughs> so you just... I'll explain. I'm just going to let you talk. The first one on my list is The Magicians. Okay. This is based on a series by Lev Grossman, I believe is the author's name. And I read the first book, and I really didn't like the book. I could venture to say I hated it. It was not for me. I thought it would be a series that I would really like. Some people compare it to like a modern, more adult Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. I saw really good reviews for the TV adaptation. So I watched every episode in the first season except for the last one. (laughs) I don't know why. I just never finished it. (laughs) So I cared enough to watch every episode, but I didn't care enough to watch the final one. I liked the TV adaptation better than I liked the book, but I didn't like it enough. So that's why it goes on my least favorites. What about it did you not like? I don't even know that I can tell you something specific that I didn't like, just that it didn't grab me. Okay. I don't care enough about the characters. And this was a conversation that we were just having about Westworld, where... I might, I'm not necessarily like this when I'm reading, especially if it's just a thriller that I can binge, Mm -hmm. but for TV, in order for me to want to keep watching, I have to be invested in at least one character. And if I don't care about any of the people, or case of Westworld, robots, (laughs) which I don't, I don't care about any of them, the plot is not enough for me. I yeah. have to be invested in a character in order to keep watching. And I, felt, I guess the magicians, I just didn't care about any of them. I feel like with Westworld, the plot was enough to hold my attention for the first season. Mm-hmm. And then now that that's gone away, it's not worth investing nine hours Same. of my life to get through the rest of the, no. the second season. What's on your least favorites? Um, I've got two that are kind of similar for the same reasons. So I'll just knock them both out. Um, it's the Hannibal most recent representation that was on NBC, which is the Thomas Harris, Hannibal Lecter books. We watched, like, what? how many seasons of that were? Two or three? Three. I watched all three. I think I watched two with you. And The Unit, which was based on Eric Haney's Inside Delta Force book. Um, so both of these, I've seen every episode. Uh, in the case of The Unit, I own all the box sets and have seen them multiple times. But both of them have kind of just come up short for me about what I think they could have been. So with Hannibal, it was trying to do something different than the Silence of the Lambs and um, Anthony Hopkins movies, which were, in my opinion, better representations. Um, The first season was really good where he's like starting out investigating crimes that he's committed and that whole intrigue was cool up until the point where they knew it was him and then started chasing him, and then the whole thing fell apart for me. Um, And then just the stylistic parts of the show that some people liked, I didn't care for. So like the whole point of the stag that would come up out of nowhere Mm -hmm. with like the shrieky music and all that stuff, I felt like that was all distraction, smoke and mirror stuff that didn't really lend itself to the plot. I feel like for you, it's either gotta be a straight detective story. Yep. No frills or full-on fantasy. All of the frills. Yeah. (laughs) The blending of those two elements, I just couldn't get behind and it kind of just Mm -hmm. didn't sit well with me. Yeah. So with the unit, it was one thing where it briefed well. That's a phrasing that is 
coming out of the army where um it's it's going to be uh the first show that's going to be about delta force it's going to be about this like these cool guys doing cool guy stuff and the first episode it started off like that like they're jumping out of planes they're taking out hostages that are hostage takers on an airplane and it was all cool up until the last 30 seconds of the episode where you figure out that the unit commander is sleeping with one of his soldiers' wives. And then I'm just like, okay, this is just going to be a soap opera. It was trying to do too many things. Like, it was trying to be this, like, soap opera family drama and then do the cool guy missions around the world doing counter-terrorist stuff. And it just didn't do either one effectively for me. What was that book that it was based on? Uh, Inside Delta Force is by Eric Haney. He was one of the first founding members of Delta Force, and the book kind of talks about the selection process, and then the first couple missions they would do in the 80s and 90s. A lot of, like, Cold War um, anti-Soviet stuff in Germany and, like, going across to the eastern side recruiting Asians and that kind of stuff. I actually think that would have been a cooler TV show where they talk about the inception of this organization, the selection process, and then maybe doing some Cold War level spy recruiting and stuff back in uh, the Soviet days. So Mm -hmm. I feel like that would have been cool too. Those are network TV shows. Yes. And I wonder if they have to meet a wider appeal of viewer. I would say so, just so that they're trying to attract a wider scope of audience. Compared to the people who are going to pay for the Stars subscription to watch Outlander, like us. (laughs) Like, Like the best action show I've ever seen was Strike Back on Cinemax, and it was about the British... SAS, mm-hmm. and it was just pure action, but they could get away with it because it was on Cinemax. But I think it's less about you don't need the clear depictions of violence, Cinemax level, so much as you just want the straight story. You don't want the side plots and the romance and all of that. Could have completely done without all that stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. So the other two shows that I have on my least favorites list, I haven't even watched for two different reasons. The first one is Starcrossed, which was set to be on ABC, I think. It was produced by Shonda Rhimes. Starcrossed was based on a little, it's not really a retelling, but it was a young adult novel that posed the question what happened after Romeo and Juliet's deaths? And so the novel followed both families and other family members and how they reconciled and like dealt with the deaths of Romeo and Juliet. Seems like an interesting concept. Did you read it, the book? I read the book. The book was entertaining. I mean, it was like bubblegum. <laughs> but it was entertaining. And I was really excited about the diverse casting. I was excited as a Shakespeare nerd. And... It just never took off. They created a pilot episode. I watched a couple of trailers, but it just never made it to TV. So I don't know what happened there, Mm -hmm. but I was just disappointed that that never happened. Makes sense. And then I'm really nervous to watch Strike. Is that what the TV show is called? I think it's just called Strike. Just Strike. Yeah. That's the adaptation of the Robert Galbraith Cormoran's Strike series we talk, on I think BBC it's on, something? It's on Cinemax. Is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. But we, we mentioned it earlier where like if you have a vision of a character or a relationship like is essential to the Cormoran Strike books, if they screw it up in the show, I just don't want to watch it. No. So I'm, I'm in the same boat as you where I'm just nervous to start it because I have such a vivid picture of Cormoran is like how I picture him, Mm -hmm. that I don't want what is actually on the screen to come up short. And Cormoran and Robin's relationship to me, it's going to be really tough to get that right. So with Outlander and Game of Thrones, I think we benefited from reading the books and then watching the TV series pretty much right away. Yeah. So I've been reading one book in the Outlander series per year, basically just enough to keep up with the TV show. I read the book first, but then it was like, I read the book. Oh, hey, this is going to be a TV show, like right after, just like you with Game of Thrones. Yeah, That was a benefit because I was only one book in 
I liked Claire and Jamie, but I wasn't super attached to the vision of them I had in my head. Yeah. Because, like, now I read the books, and I basically picture Katrina Belf and Sam Hewen in my head as I'm reading. How could Not you? bad people to picture at all. How could you not? <laughs> but with the Cormoran Strike series, we're now how many novels in? Four? Uh, you're four, I'm three. But it's been three or four years yeah where we've got that image that's journeyed with the characters read multiple books and i yeah i just don't know i'm too nervous for that one i don't think that i'll end up watching it and the other thing it's a mystery series we know how they get solved (laughs) like that's part of the fun of those books is you have no they're idea. the most unpredictable mystery books that I've read. And I, I read a lot of mystery. I don't mind predicting the book, but it's the journey. With these, they're actually unpredictable, and that's part of the fun of them. Yeah, but they're doing really accurate representations of all the books, so we know the endings. Which, yeah. Yeah. I think we'll watch it eventually, but I'm just apprehensive about the whole thing. I'm willing, yeah, maybe someday, but... I'm happy to wait because I think I don't think that this was the last book either. I think that J.K. Rowling has a couple more mysteries left, at least one more. We can hope. Curtis, Chelsea. <laughs> we were scouring the lists of television adaptations that are coming up, yep. like in 2019 or beyond. Mm-hmm. You already mentioned King Killer Chronicles. That's the only one that's on my wish list or in the works that I care about. So Lin-Manuel Miranda, he bought the rights to it, right? I think he personally yeah. is attached to the project. There was a 10th anniversary edition of The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, which is one of my favorite books of all time. And Lin-Manuel Miranda was prominently on the back cover with his glowing endorsement of the book and loves it. Um, so as soon as I knew that he was attached to the project after... We loved Hamilton and did all that stuff. I'm excited to have him be part of the project because one of the major points about the main character is he's a musician. So he plays the lute, he is a singer, and then he also is able to manipulate the wind with his voice. So I'm excited to see how it gets adapted, mainly because it's going to be on Showtime, so they got that big budget money. And I am very excited for it. So obviously, Lin-Manuel Miranda is going to write the music. Yes. He's a great writer. Otherwise, I mean, he adapted a book into a musical. And mm-hmm. I don't think he just... I think he also worked with the author on the script for that. I don't think he just wrote the music. No, I think he worked with Ron Chernow for the Hamilton So thing. it seems like that could be a really similar but TV adaptation. Yeah. I don't picture him as the main character. I feel like he's just going to be attached to the project as a creative person. Do you think he'll be in it in some capacity, though? Yeah, but it's not But not not the main character. No, it isn't going to be like a Hamilton thing where he's the main guy. That's the only real in-the-works project that I am over the moon excited for. Yeah. Other than if there turns out to be like a Game of Thrones prequel. Sure. Which... You know, as soon as HBO is done with it, how quickly do you think they're going to come out with a prequel? Uh, really fast, actually. Yeah. Actually, uh, Sci-Fi is doing another George R. R. Martin series, Night something, Night Flyer, Night Catcher, something, something like that. So everybody wants to cash in on that. But money. he's been in TV for a long time. Yes, it's not like Game of Thrones was his first TV experience. He's been writing for television for a long time. Um, what do you have that's in the works? That's that upcoming? Yeah. Okay, these are both books slash series that I have not read yet, but based on the fact that they're going to be TV series and that I like the sound of them, I'm interested. The first one is The Rook by Daniel O'Malley. And this one, I think I saw that it's BBC's involved in it, but based on the description, it sounds like it's supernatural but also spies two things i love yeah actually when i was reading the book synopsis i thought oh that sounds like a book that curtis would like how do you even say that name miffinwee 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 thomas i don't know a woman who wakes up in the park with no recollection of who she is and she then discovers that she's part of this secret british organization and she is dealing with this supernatural force and that's really all that you need to know for it to sound interesting right oh totally good demon but this one is going to be on stars and it says 2019 what else you got 
The other series that I'm looking forward to is reportedly Netflix is going to adapt the entire Bridgerton series by Julia Quinn, which is a series of really popular, I think it's Regency era romance novels. Hmm. And this is under the umbrella of Shonda Rhimes. She's got her own house at Netflix now. Didn't and they Netflix just... is like, Shonda, here's your money. Do what you want and do your thing. Blank check, card block. Make us some money. Here's your money, make us some money. And she is like, I will. Well, that's because they're losing out on me. all that House of Cards money. So now they Look, gotta get some she, Shonda Rhimes money. She was already building her empire and this is just the next step. So... I am excited at the prospect of another romance series being adapted because romance is incredibly widely read and that's because it's entertaining. Mm -hmm. You like watching Outlander. Those are romance novels. They're absolutely richly historically detailed. They are fantastical historical fiction. The core is romance. They're romance. Agree to disagree. I'm excited because it's going to be a period drama too. And I think that that's really thrilling. Yeah. Those are good content sources to have for Netflix. I think so. It definitely broadens the scope of Netflix's offerings. For sure. So I'm. all I've heard so far is that it's in the works. I'm really hoping it's not a star-crossed situation where it just never happens. Only get, got a, my hopes up for only get a pilot and then nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be unfair. Well, that's not how Netflix works. No, Netflix is, if you have an idea, we'll give you 15 episodes. Here's all your money. Right. <laughs> so we'll see. It, I think it would be popular if it, if it gets made. Do you have any TV series on your wish list of things that you wish they would make into? The only, thing, the, um, the only thing on my wish list would be, I'm a big fan of Band of Brothers in the Pacific, which were miniseries on HBO um, by Steven Spielberg that dealt with um, World War II. So Band of Brothers was 101st Airborne in Europe, and the Pacific was about Marines in the Pacific Theater. I would love to see them take that formula where they adapt interviews and multiple books from like Vietnam would be a good one. So in the same way that like Ken Burns does all these documentaries on the Civil War and World War II and Vietnam and stuff like that. I'd be here paying all kinds of money if they needed the support for a Steven Spielberg Vietnam representation, kind of like he did Band of Brothers. It seems like it would be good timing for that, just based on, you think of the age of Vietnam War veterans? Mm-hmm. I think I can see that. I think there's been enough time where, not to say it diminishes their sacrifice, but we've seen a lot of World War II representation in media and books. So I think it's time for where we could see more stories that came out from Vietnam. This Is Us is doing that whole Vietnam plotline thingamajig. Maybe that's going to kickstart it. Okay, what's on your list of things you want to see adapted into television? Okay, I'm thinking in the vein of all of those detective shows on BBC. Mm -hmm. I really think that they could allow Lady Hardcastle to join their ranks or Veronica Speedwell, or Maisie Dobbs, any of my sassy lady detective heroines, I think could have their own TV adaptation. You know, I think with Jessica Jones paving the way on Netflix with like the comic book lady detective, we might see a wave of the lady detective in BBC. We can only hope. I I would like, I actually think there's sort of a resurgence or a renewed interest in World War One happening right now. With like the 100th anniversary and having... Well, I didn't even think about that. I was thinking about there are a lot of books that have come out about it. And I just think that there's... It's a period of history rich for analysis. And people are sort of drawn to that. Because like you said, we're a little exhausted on the World War Two content. So I think a lot of people have shifted back to World War One. I think Maisie Dobbs would be a really interesting series because it it's World War One. It's that Downton Abbey kind of era yep. that so many Downton Abbey fans were really, really interested in. But it would be a totally different take. Maisie Dobbs is a working woman. She was a nurse turned detective. I think it would just, 
historically be a really fascinating TV show, and she's mm-hmm. a compelling main character. Yeah. And there's there's a lot. It's a long series. There would be a lot of content. Do you want to see that more than a Lady Hardcastle? I just said Lady Hardcastle because we're so obsessed <laughs> and so entertained by it. Well, now I'm just thinking if they tried to do like the modern Sherlock thing with uh-huh. Lady Hardcastle, it just wouldn't work. No, Lady Hardcastle has to be... Period. Period. Yeah. But I actually... I mean, when I think about that, I think it would almost translate better to like a stage play than a TV series. And then the only other thing I... I no, I don't want to talk about that one. Yeah, no, That's it. You want to talk about that one? Well, I was thinking that The Mothers by Britt Bennett would be a really interesting television series premise, but I don't know that I have the brain power to delve into why. So I'm just going to throw that one out there and people who have read The Mothers can come talk to me about it. Okay. So those are some things that we wish would get adapted and be on our silver screens. Yep. Um, What's your recommendation for the week? What is my recommendation of the week, Curtis? I need to look. (laughs) Oh, my recommendation is a book. Weird in a book podcast that your recommendation (laughs) of the week is a book. It is weird because we don't usually recommend books. I'm I'm not this week, but go ahead. The book that I would like to recommend is Seven Fallen Feathers by Tanya Talaga. And this book is about seven indigenous high school students who died between the years of 2000 and 2011 in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. And the author is an investigative journalist. I've really been enjoying reading books by investigative journalists lately. I think they know how to tell stories in few words with a lot of impact, and I like that. And the author does a really good job of connecting the horrors of boarding schools where the government forced Native Americans to send their children. Children face torture and starvation. It's, It's a really terrible, dark part of Canadian and American history that reverberates today and has very clear links to today's issues that Native Americans are dealing with. And so this book does a really good job of connecting that so that you can really see the history of trauma and the effect that it's had. And each individual story of the seven high school students is told basically in a separate chapter Mm -hmm. and so it kind of reads like individual short stories as well but they've got definitely those similar themes it's not it's easy to read in terms of the language the prose it's really descriptive it's interesting it is not easy to read in terms of content it's heavy it's tough i've been setting aside about an hour in the morning, like right when I wake up, to devote to reading one chapter of this book to get it done first thing in the day so that I can kind of process it and think about it throughout the day. Mm -hmm. But also just as this is my nonfiction reading time, I'm going to get this chapter in and really focus on it when my mind is fresh. I definitely want to put the book in your hands when I'm done, and I would love for you to read it so we could kind of talk about it. Yeah. But I also just think it is a book that you'd be interested in reading. Well, just going to have to go on the list of all the nonfiction November that we've got to get through. Yeah, definitely. I think that your favorite takes quite a turn away from my dark favorite. Well, we've already talked about our love for British television and and Netflix. And I'm going to talk about the Great British Baking Show. So originally it was recommended to us by some friends And I was just like, why would I want to watch people bake cookies and treats and all this stuff? And I was skeptical. Hang on. You were like, why would I want to watch people bake cookies and treats that I can't eat? Very good (laughs) representation. Yeah, that that, that is how I was. Yeah. Um, So we had it on, I think when we were taking a nap on a weekend or something, we burned through like four episodes. I woke up while you were still sleeping and the show was still on. And I started watching it and I was just like, I I learned so much about proving drawers and... (laughs) making like the dough and they did bread like a full episode on bread so it's a new favorite show where people are creative and make delicious things that i just get to watch and yeah it's both entertaining and soothing it is the perfect show to take a nap to oh yeah um just talking 
about books that I just finished. Um, the Outsider by Stephen King. 100% recommend. Two thumbs way up from this guy. Um, I thought maybe it was going to be a detraction where there wouldn't be a supernatural <laughs> element. Yeah. And you said multiple times on the podcast, Chelsea, you'll like this. It's just a mystery. There's no... There's no... <laughs> There's nothing otherworldly. It's not horrifying. And it turned out to be horrifying, and there was otherworldly things happening. So, <laughs> so be warned. Yeah. I, I was waiting for somebody that listened to that episode to be like, Curtis, that's not what happened. There was one person. And they were like... There was only one person that had my back. and was like, Chelsea, I don't think you're going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I turned out to be wrong. You're not going to hurt our feelings if you tell us that we're wrong, people. <laughs> Protect us from ourselves. We're only human. <laughs> but it was a fantastic thriller. One of the best books I've read this year. So, Do you think it's going to go on your top five list? For the year? Yeah, I've been starting to think about that because I think that episode's coming up. It is. Um, but where I tried to get uh, books from different genres. So if I'm trying to pick a thriller, it'll be my favorite thriller this year. That's high praise. Yeah. Would you put it in the thriller category or is it horror? It might be horror. Yeah. Like Stephen King is like the only horror author that I read. Um, but it, it might be in that category of where it's horror. Especially because there was otherworldly. <laughs> Things. Spooky things. Yeah. We're, we're getting a little too punchy now. I think we need to stop recording. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up by saying thank you for subscribing and sharing He Read, She Read with your friends. Uh, we love reading your comments, posts, and reviews each week. A uh, reminder that our buddy read for this month is going to be You Learn by Living by Eleanor Roosevelt, and that episode is going to air November 27th. If you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, please do so. Um, more reviews equals better rankings and more people will be able to listen to us. So we appreciate it if you are able to do that. Connect with us on social media or email. As previously mentioned, when we're asking for some questions, send those our way via Twitter and Instagram at HeReadSheRead or email HeReadSheReadPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening. And remember, the couple that reads together. I don't have one. Watches all of the BBC shows.